Welcome to the ShakeOut Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. Eilish McColgan is one of the best distance runners in the world. The 32-year-old is a three-time Olympian, a European and Commonwealth Games champion, and holds numerous British records. Last weekend, she added another record to that list, winning a 10,000 meter in California in 30 minutes flat as she prepares for her marathon debut in London next month. But despite her impressive athletic resume, Ailish frequently finds herself fending off social media trolls who are more focused on her appearance than on her results. Coached by her mum, Olympic medalist Liz McColgan, Ailish knows the impact of having strong female role models. In honor of International Women's Day, this week we chat about Ailish's phenomenal career and how she's using it to create a better future for girls in sport. Ailish, it is an absolute honor to be chatting with you, especially ahead of International Women's Day. And given that you're in recovery mode from your remarkable recent performance, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the ShakeOut podcast. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. I've got to start by asking you how you're feeling. You just came off of this enormous performance. I know you had some injury niggles coming into it. How's the body doing? How's the mind doing? Has it sort of hit you yet? Yeah, it's maybe not quite sunk in just yet. Um, I was really excited after the race. I think, I suppose once you have a little bit of time to think about it, I was more frustrated to be so close to sub 30 minutes than anything else. Like it, I was obviously happy to win the race. It was a big PB. It was a national record, but when something like that is like so close within your grasp, it's, uh, yeah, I ended up being like a bit more frustrated than anything for the rest of the day. But I'm sure it's one of these things in like a month's time, a year's time, I'll look back and I'll be incredibly proud of that performance. It's always a big challenge, I think, just getting to to any sort of start line. So I'm glad I did it. It perhaps wasn't the, the most ideal prep going into it, but I was, I know I was in good shape from the training I've been doing. And it's actually just quite nice to get like a validation from that as well. It's been very different training for the London Marathon. Um, I wasn't sure. I felt like I wasn't very fast. I kept moaning to my mum, I'm not fast. I'm not fast. And so afterwards, the first thing she said to me on the phone was, I told you, you're, you're moaning about not being fast. I told you you're fast. It comes from strength. So um, it was quite a, like a nice validation to know that, right, okay, we're on the right path here. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to chat more about the prep for London and the value, you know, of putting some of these shorter races. It's funny to call a 10,000 a shorter race, but truly, you know, a a track race um, on the calendar in your build. But before we get there, I mean, you hold British records in the 5K, 10K and half marathon on the roads. The 5,000 meter on the track, which Eilish was a race I actually had the honor of pacing two years ago in Oslo, Norway. So I remember that very well. And now add to that the British 10,000 meter track record, of course, set over the weekend at the 10 in California. Again, all of this en route to that prep for your debut in London um, in late April. And I mean, that list of records doesn't even begin to sort of scratch the surface of your resume. You know, three-time Olympian. Last summer, you became the Commonwealth Games champion in the 10,000 meter. Um, I believe it was 36 years after your mum, Liz, accomplished the same feat also at the Commonwealth Games and you broke a Commonwealth Games record. I mean, it's a remarkable list of accomplishments. Maybe we can start by kind of bringing us into the current moment. Take us through the race over the weekend in the 10, because again, you're doing this en route to prep for a marathon. I know that you and American Alicia Monson worked really well together throughout the race. 
And I'm wondering like how that played out for you, what the goals were going in and how you felt throughout it. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like I had earmarked that 10,000 meter race as as something to do this year. In all honesty, we had actually planned to do a couple of low key races over in Dubai um, in the winter months. That's where we train. And we thought we would do a 5K, a 10K, and then I would run Rack Half Marathon following a similar path I did last year. And then everything would be building towards London. But it just didn't happen that way. I kept picking up niggle after niggle after niggle. And it's been frustrating, actually, because it's, I suppose, with the increase in training, I'm far much, like, I'm much stronger than I've ever been before. But with that comes a lot more challenges with trying to stay in one piece. Um, you're doing more volume, you're doing more mileage, you're doing just more gym work. It's, it, it's everything. And so... I've always come from a very like low mileage background since 2016. I had some serious injury in 2015. I broke my ankle. And since then, I've just had to really cross train my way to, to every championship I've ever been to. And so my mileage has never really been above, I don't know, 50, maybe 60 miles max at times. Um, there were some years I was only operating on 30 to 40 miles. So I always knew if I could put together that higher mileage and stay healthy that I could perhaps perform better than I'd been doing. But I think a lot of that was probably a mental challenge as well. I always felt like, oh, I can't do what other athletes do because I'll break down, I'll break down. I just had this sort of fear from earlier in my career, those two big injuries. And so I've managed to put together a, a sort of five-week block of training there at Colorado. And because we'd missed all those early races, the opportunity came up and I thought, I wonder if I can even enter this race. I don't even know if it's closed, if they're taking entries. But the joke there is that you actually ran with a handwritten bib. Like you, <laughs> you were so late to the entry that you had to have your bib like handwritten by, I think, the, the meet director, which is quite funny. It was actually it was actually my boyfriend, Michael, wrote oh. it for me. So it was his handwriting on the, on the bib. Um, we just literally got there on the day and they, they had nothing for us. But so that's how that is literally how last minute it was. We just thought, like my mum was adamant that I needed to try and find a race because I can't just go into London Marathon and not have any races at all. So ideally, I mean, it would have been great to have had the prep that we had planned, the 10, the 5 and then this half marathon, but it just hasn't worked that way. So I was lucky to string together a really good five weeks. But just last week, I started having a little bit of uh, niggles with it with a knee injury randomly. I've never had problems before. So again, that's why it was even a later entry because I sort of asked about the race and then inquired about it and then pulled out because I thought, oh, I'm not going to be able to do it. And then was like, actually, let's just go and do this. So I feel like sometimes things happen for a reason. Like, do you know what I mean? The world plays out in weird ways sometimes. And so it was a late start to my season, but it was certainly worth the wait. And um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for any more from that race. I felt really strong. I, I thought the pace through 5K would feel super fast to me because I just haven't been hitting any sessions around that sort of a few but obviously not the way I normally would would do where I would have real more intense 3k 5k type sessions everything's been much longer and it seems to have worked I seem to have been suited really well to that I felt so strong in the race and to be honest my only regret within that race is not going a little bit earlier and believing myself and sort of going maybe a mile two miles out because I felt strong but every time I sort of my body wanted to go my brain would be like oh no don't do that just stay stay safe just let's just get around this and be in one piece and and get to the end but 
obviously afterwards with hindsight it's always very easy to say oh I should have done this or I could have done that but um yeah it was a great way to start 2023. No kidding all right I want to unpack a lot of that I think that something that really stuck out for me in what you just said sort of two separate elements of what led up to this race so one of them being having to overcome so many of these setbacks you know injury is such a universally relatable topic, right? Like everyone, regardless of the level and the event goes through setbacks sometimes at the last minute. I mean, you were actually scheduled to race um, the London Marathon last year and ended up pulling out due to some health issues. And then we were going to have our chat for this podcast last week. And then we had to postpone because of your knee issues. And so I guess what I'm curious about is uh, a two part question. The first, like, how do you remain calm and sort of mentally focused in those moments of setback that are outside of your control? I think it probably stems from like very early in my career in 2011 was my first ever like GB vest. Like I was never one of these. Um, I obviously was talented as a kid, but I wasn't like this super prodigy that was making like GB teams when they were 15, 16 years old. Like my boyfriend was that like he made teams from the age of, I don't know, 15 and was breaking all the British records. And like I never had that. I was always there, but not quite good enough to ever make a team and then in 2011 I had a huge breakthrough I pretty much was at university and just decided to stop partying and going out and drinking and start actually looking after myself and trying to be an athlete instead of just sort of playing at it and I had this massive breakthrough and but with that then came the biggest injury of my career so far and I think it was just all accelerated. I was very excited. It was new to me. I was getting into Diamond League races for the first time. Like it was all, it was just crazy. I remember going to Crystal Palace in 2011, the Diamond League, and being around all these elite athletes. And I was just watching everything they did. Like I remember watching all the women put their spikes on and nobody was wearing socks. And I was like, oh my God. So I took my socks off and was like, I can't wear socks. Like they're going to think I'm an idiot. But I broke my foot in that race and very seriously broke my foot. I completely shattered my navicular bone. And looking back now, it was a combination of probably training too hard, just increasing everything um, because I was just so excited by it all. And also just steeplechase is such a hard event. Like I wasn't robust enough in the gym. I wasn't doing enough mileage. I just threw myself into all these steeplechases because I was getting invited to them and it was exciting. Um, so looking back now, it was... I can see how that injury occurred. And it was stressful as well with family life. My parents were going through a bad divorce. There was a lot of different things, elements going on. So I can see how that happened. But I think I learned so much from that because I felt like here I was on like the first time on like a world stage and I couldn't believe it. But then it was taken away so quick. Like in that one race, it was gone again. And I was in crutches. I was in a boot. I had to have surgery. They put five screws and a metal plate into my foot and had to reshape it they didn't tell me at the time but the plate and the screws it was all like a prototype that had been sent from the USA and they had never sort of this guy had never done the surgery before he was just a local doctor in my hospital (laughs) and so I'm glad they didn't tell me at the time because I would have been a hell of a lot more um, petrified about it but it worked out but thankfully like I obviously I still have all the metal work in there today I have obviously restrictions with my foot. I don't have the same flexibility. I have no real feeling through the front part of my foot. But I think that has helped me be so calm now that when things happen, like touch wood, I haven't had anything. I've had injuries and niggles. 
but nothing to that extremity. Like it's just never quite ever reached that level again where I didn't think I would run again. I was told I wouldn't run again. So I always think back to that and I have it in like my training diary. I, I made like, I had like a journal back then. And often whenever I like something big happens or I think I, I start to feel, yeah, a bit down about injury or something, I can always look back to that and see almost like how far I've come from there. I have like the pictures on my phone, they're horrible and gruesome, but it's just like a little bit of a mental reminder to not have like a bit of a pity party for myself because there's been way worse moments. Um, so these sort of small things that come and go are a lot more manageable, I think, mentally. So I'd say for people that are struggling with injury, try and break it down, I think, maybe into smaller chunks, write a journal, write down exactly what you're feeling, have that to look back on. And it could just be, I don't know, I remember writing down I could wiggle my toe for the first time because I had feeling in it again. And it's such a stupid small thing, but you can see that progress. And so as long as you can see just slight changes and slight progress, it doesn't feel as long. I think the process doesn't feel as long. So yeah, that's definitely helped. I think now going into big events, um, it's all you're always going to injured, get injured. You're always going to have an illness that pops up at the wrong time. Like that is being human. To be honest, I don't know how athletes, certain athletes get to events and they're just a hundred percent all the time. Like I, I'm 32 and I certainly have not mastered that just yet. Maybe one day, maybe one day I'll learn. <laughs> no, but I, I, I love what you said about that's just being human, right? And so perhaps that's not the goal. Like we have to learn to deal with adversity as it comes. And I think that what you just said about having that perspective of it's been worse or it's been bad in a different way and, and seeing those, you know, you've you, you found a way to harness that as learning opportunities. And you're obviously so much stronger mentally and physically as a result of that, right? Um, so that you can adapt and learn to work through those sort of inevitable moments of, of you know, setback or disappointment, which, you know, all came together for you over the weekend, which is amazing. So the second piece of that mental aspect I want to talk about is you talked about sort of like holding back a little bit of your intuition to go earlier in that race. And one thing that strikes me about you that I think is pretty unique is that you have been successful under this like enormous range of um, tactics and circumstances. So your previous PB was 3019, which you set in the Netherlands last year in Hengelo. And you, for reasons that we won't get into, you ended up leading almost the entire race and not just leading, but like running completely solo, running a personal best and blowing your previous PB out of the water. So when it comes to trusting yourself and knowing sort of when to like lean into that somewhat scary risk of maybe this is pushing it too far, but I also have enough knowledge and self-trust to do that. Like, how do you find that balance of the intuition around tactics? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm probably not like naturally the most confident of people. I never really have been like, especially as a youngster, like I was never super confident growing up. I would always just want to be in the, in the background. I would never want to have any sort of spotlight shined on me whatsoever. And it's also probably similarly a little bit now, like I, I I hate when people hype up events or say, oh, this person's going to medal or this person's going to run this time. Like I, I really just like to get there and do it first before I, I speak about it. And so for me, I think I take a lot of confidence probably from training and just knowing that I'm definitely someone that needs to see it in training for me to really sink in and believe it, that I can do it. And I think the confidence also comes a lot from my mum and my partner, Michael, as well. Like, they believe in me far more than I have any, like, 
faith and confidence in myself. They're always saying like, you're stronger than you think and like, you should be able to do this. And and every time they're right, like I do continue to surprise myself and then the confidence builds a little bit more and it builds a little bit more. And I think that's what's happened certainly over the last two years is I think I sort of feed feed off of them and feed off of training. But it's difficult sometimes, certainly going into this race, because I had obviously no previous races beforehand. This really was my first one in a couple of months. I didn't quite have that same belief in myself to sort of push when when I should have done. And, and it's weird. You do. You feel your body and you, I suppose you know you should do it. But... I think that'll come. I think for me, I need a couple of races to get to that point. Um, Commonwealth Games was that for me last year. I felt like I'd had some really good races, but then I got sick and then I picked up a niggle. And I know that when I stand on a start line and I'm 100% healthy, I think, well, this is it. Like, I've done it. I've, like, cracked it. I've got here. I'm in the best shape. So, like, it's almost grasping that opportunity because you don't know when that opportunity will happen again. So Commonwealth really was that I felt like that really was the race of the year for me because I had made it to that start line and I was so determined that all the work I had to put in, I didn't want anybody else to affect my race. And so I compl- I did, I completely front run that race just like I did in Hengelo. And I think there's a few races where I come into it and if I'm 100%, that's when I do feel my most confident and, and ready to push on. Other times, yeah, I can maybe question things a little bit, but I've never finished a race and felt like I haven't given it whatever I had even at the weekend there like I crossed the line knowing that I was at 100% but perhaps yeah I should have gone a little bit earlier in the race but considering I front ran a lot of my races this year I know people were like oh you had Alicia doing all the work at the front like I have done my fair share of work in races (laughs) over the last two years at both races at Commonwealth Games European 10k as well um, even at Worlds and Hengelo, the full race entirely on my own into the wind, the rain, the cold. Like, it was actually just nice to feel like actually I was involved in a race <laughs> for once rather than having to just try and do it all entirely myself. But I'm certainly not shy from doing that. And I, that's the way I like to run. But yeah, I think I do definitely need a little bit of confidence boost from from seeing it in training and and before I start maybe believing it. That makes so much sense. Um, Firstly, I agree entirely that you have done your fair share of leading. So hopping on (laughs) someone else's back, absolutely warranted. (laughs) And I I also want to come back to that concept of um, the value of putting in some pretty high level race goals throughout a build, right, where it's not necessarily your key race. Um, but they're, you know, having to have that experience of stepping on a start line um, and the confidence that that brings. But before we get there, so many of the records that you've broken, your British records, your national records, were either previously held by Paula Radcliffe or by your mum, Liz. I'm wondering what it feels like to have these strong female role models, you know, so close to you and now to be sort of like turning the chapter in the next generation and eclipsing their performances and becoming that hero for so many girls and women who are going to be coming up behind you. Yeah, it's really special the fact it's gone from like my mum to Paula and then back into like our family name again because I suppose growing up like I had no awareness of how incredible my mum was because it was just my mum. Like when you're little, you're so naive. Like you don't know what it takes to become successful in, in anything. Do you know what I mean? I just saw my mum was was someone that went out running every day and, and that was it. And it wasn't until I really started running myself and even more so obviously becoming an adult and realizing that she did all that 
she had me in 1990 and yet less than a year later became world champion in 1991 just blows my mind like I can barely look after myself never mind look after a little child and become a world champion so I almost feel like my mum's a huge part of my career to this date like she got obviously was the one who's coached me from my first sort of time I joined the the Dundee Hockle Harriers my local club and it almost feels like I'm now putting the records back into her name I know it's not her running but she's a huge part of of me and the reason I'm here today she's definitely the biggest role model I've had I don't I've never met anyone quite like her like it's really hard to explain the type of person she is like she's so driven and motivated it's just on another a complete different level (laughs) and I can see why she was so successful like it's just it's just different she's different um, so yeah, it just feels really nice to almost take take it back into my mum's name and still have her like so present amongst what I'm doing just now. And um, like Paula's been lovely as well. Like she's definitely probably more of a role model for me as in viewing on TV because she was my generation when I was growing up. Paula was the one on the TV, and I used to love watching her race. Like I've watched all of those races at Europeans and Commonwealths and she's always been really nice like every time I I break a record she's the, one of the first people to text me to say well done so yeah it's just it's cool to have that and hopefully yeah the next generation of youngsters can sort of uh, do the same for me looking up and I think we're an unusual I suppose generation now where we have social media and stuff so kids can reach out to you like I would have loved to have messaged Paula when I was 12 years old and asked her what she was eating for her breakfast like that would be amazing and that's what we have now you have people that can see every athlete they want they can message them they don't they might not reply to you but you've got a chance and that for me is is really important too so I try to be as active as I can on social media and as open as I can on social media and I started my own not-for-profit again helping young athletes young female athletes within Scotland and at the sort of age group where a lot of young women drop out the sport because I know firsthand like it's just not easy you'll know yourself like going through school and exams and puberty and family life and then you're growing you lose all your energy and then your periods are a nightmare and then you're trying to perform and it just your body just doesn't cooperate sometimes so it's very easy to sort of think I'm 16 seven years old 17 years old I'm never ever going to make it but it's trying to just keep them engaged and say look it doesn't matter that you're not winning at 16 like you can still you might be winning at 26 you might even be winning at 32 like it's a long-term process so I think it is really important to have I had role models growing up and so I suppose that's what I'm trying to instill now within uh giving back for track which is the not-for-profit we're doing hopefully some of the young women feel like um yeah they can have maybe me as a role model or certainly I'm accessible for them to speak to whatever questions they might have That's a perfect segue because as much as social media is a tool, it can also be, as you know, a bit of a nightmare. And that (laughs) leads pretty sort of explicitly into negative body image and probably more than that, just people commenting on women's bodies in sport. And this is something that you've been really beautifully outspoken about and trying to combat this concept of, you know, pay attention to what I do, not what I look like. Yeah, I love this quote of yours. I think that it's just pretty much female athletes in sport. 
It's always deemed to be about what we look like rather than what we're actually doing. And again, you've been working so hard to combat that and to change that. Again, given that we're speaking pretty aptly ahead of International Women's Day, I'm wondering what advice you might have for that 16, 17-year-old girl um, who is coming up in sport, but is it, it's difficult to have the, the bigger perspective because you just haven't been alive for long enough to really have that. Given that you have taken on this charge and this cause and you are such a role model and a leader, what are some of the biggest pieces of advice that you might have for a young girl who's struggling with some of um, some of this body image stuff and living in the age of social media and, and just trying to excel at this thing that she loves? Yeah, it's difficult because I think you're always going to be judged, as I said earlier, for what you look like rather than performances. But it's almost accepting that what other people's opinions of you don't actually affect you. Do you know what I mean? It shouldn't affect your happiness. It shouldn't affect the sort of prospect of you being the best that you can be in whatever you want to put your focus in, your determinate, your hard work goes towards something like it shouldn't really matter what other people think. And I know it's very easy to say, but it's just mentally trying to keep reassuring yourself of that because you're never going to please everyone. And there's always going to be one or two or more horrible people than they are nice people. But I always keep reminding a lot of the youngsters that message me that the, the sort of horrible messages and the people that are trolling, it's often a reflection on their life. Like they're very unhappy in whatever situation they're in. Um, and I feel sorry for them. A lot of them are nameless, faceless, and they're probably sitting at their, in their basements at home in their pants with no friends no family and no outlook so I actually do I do genuinely feel sorry for people like that and I try to um it's only every so often I'll call people out on it um because it's it is absolutely daily for me like it's non-stop um but I think it's important that young kids see that too that you don't just crumble and hide away and feel sorry for yourself like stand up for yourself too if you know that you are healthy you're looking after your body and you're fueling correctly don't be afraid to let people know that and don't let people knock you down either like have the confidence to own that and also just reach out to other people that even look like you do you know that you have other women doing different sports I think that's one of the best things about athletics like you can turn on the tv and you can see someone that reflects yourself in the mirror like your healthy self in the mirror and you could, maybe maybe you look like me, maybe you look like someone who's doing the high jump, maybe you look like someone who's doing the shot pot, maybe it's someone who's doing long jump, like everyone comes in completely different sizes and just to be confident in your own bodies because it isn't, it, it shouldn't be about what they look like, it's what they can do. So for me, that's the most important part and trying to get that across and just accepting that, yeah, there's always going to be negativity, you cannot fight it all. Don't So don't waste your energy fighting it all either and that's something that, a lot of people always say to me, I'll just block them and ignore them. Like I do. I'm doing that every day. Like don't I am blocking people. But I do think it's important from time to time that people see the reality of that and know what's going on. And youngsters then feel a little bit more confident to stick up for themselves too. It's crazy as well because I think I have like I had a woman message me the other day, actually. I, I don't know where she was from. She was an, an adult, she wasn't a kid. And she just said, Oh, I don't understand how you can like be so slim but still be breaking records and, and run as fast as you do. Because when you restrict, when I restrict, she said, like, when I restrict my food down, I lose my hair, I can't sleep at night, and I, I just have no energy. And I wrote back to her saying, but why do you think I'm restricting food? 
And she was like, oh, because you're so skinny. And I was like, but, but just because I don't look like we don't look the same does not mean that we feel the same way. Like, so it's, it's like trying to break down that narrative of, oh, that person is skinny. They just don't eat. But, but that's not true for some people. It might be true for others. And it's unrealistic for others to try and look like other people too. So it is, I think there's always that as well. We're always stemmed to believe like, oh, we should look like this. Do you know I mean, if you want to be a distance runner, you should be tall and skinny. But actually that's, that is not the case. Like as your body being healthy and competing at healthy weight is going to be an entirely different healthy body to mine. Like it's, it's hard to get that across, I think, to some, not even just youngsters. That was, I mean, a, a woman probably older than myself. Like it's hard to try and explain that. But I think certainly that stems from like school. We need to get more into every, like all of these bodies are healthy, but they look different. Healthy looks different on individuals. I always try to say to people as well, like the people that are performing well, say at an Olympic Games or they've been, I don't know, making track teams for a decade. It's very, very rare that that person would be underfueling because they're not going to be consistent over 10 years. You might have someone who isn't looking after themselves and they might have a great performance, but it's very short-lived. And that's the real hard, honest truth about athletes and certainly female athletes who aren't looking after themselves, who aren't fueling correctly, who aren't taking a period every month and who are overtraining. It might be a short-term fix, but after a year, two years, they disappear. And that is the real sad reality of it. And I think when you're 16, 17, 18, you probably don't think about that. But do you know I mean, it's certainly as, as an older athlete, I can look back and see all these sort of young prodigies come through and they disappear because you know that they're just not looking after themselves correctly. Um, so that's one thing I would say and that I'm really proud of as well, that I've, I've had a decade in this sport. And yeah, I'm 32, I'm getting older, but I certainly don't feel like I'm slowing down. And I think that is honestly because it's testament to having looked after myself the whole way through. I've regularly had a period, I've never had phases where I've underfueled or for me I, it's just not in my mindset and maybe that comes from my mum too I don't know maybe just having a really strong female role model like that so I think that's what I try I hope anyway through giving back to track as well that I can sort of instill that into some of the youngsters because I know it's a real sticking issue from for a lot of people and it certainly opened my eyes actually to how much of a problem it is it's a lot bigger than than I ever ever would have believed. And I think, you know, kind of circling back to something you said early on about how much more longevity there is now, sort of, it's acceptable, but also sort of expected in a way that women can have careers well into their late 30s, even early 40s, you know, at a really high international level. And the more that we take care of ourselves in our teenage bodies, the greater the likelihood is that you're going to have two full decades of, you know, high performing results, or at least just involvement and love of the sport. Because at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to, right? Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think for those who have, even maybe people who have come at the sport, like a later part of their career, they're able to have a, a bit longer longevity because they've not overtrained as youngsters. And I think I was really lucky. Again, I, I always wanted to do more, more, more as a kid. and My mom would never let me. And I used to be, we'd argue about it because I'd be like, oh, but this person's training every day a week. And my mom was like, I don't care. You're going to the track on Tuesday and you're going down Saturday and that's it. You're going with the club. You're training with the club. And we used to fight so much about it. And I hated it because I, I would come go to like events and I'd, I don't know, I'd finish out of the medals. I would never be anywhere near the medals. And there were some girls running 30 seconds faster for the 3K. 
And I'd be like, oh, but they train so much harder. I want to do this. And she just never let me do it. And now when I look back, it was obviously one of the best things she ever did because I have a career that I'm really proud of. Even if I don't do anything from this day onwards, I'll still be really proud of my career. I've had a great life in athletics. I've met some brilliant people. I've met my partner for the rest of my life. Like I'm pretty settled in, in what I've achieved so far. And that has come from, I think, yeah, the the sort of foundations my mum built from a, a young age. And I also do think, I think, age when I was younger I think god 30 is so old and now I'm like I just don't feel like that at all I feel like I'm really only just getting started like I'm really professional now with what I do I feel inspired by watching some of the other women as well like Sarah Hall, Kira D'Amato especially like they have families they have kids they've still come back into the sport and are absolutely killing it and not even just the Americans I mean we have even Sinead Diver for Australia Lisa Whiteman the other day for Australia as well like it's incredible these women are late 30s even early 40s and yet they're running faster than ever um maybe not over 815s but you know for the marathon it gives me a lot of hope to be honest that I think right I've made the right decision at this point in my career that yeah we're ready to sort of move up in distance and see what we can do over over the longer events All right. Well, speaking of moving up in distance and only scratching the surface of what you're capable of, of course, all of this sort of culminates in you preparing for your marathon debut at the London Marathon on April 23rd. Uh, Huge goal, really exciting, especially given that it's sort of been a year delayed. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, you've you've learned so much in that year that's probably going to serve you really well for it. First of all, I'm wondering how training, you know, this is a bit of an obvious question because the training is inherently different, but you know, you you've held records on the at the 10k and the half marathon on the road. How has training been significantly different in this marathon build compared to what you've been used to in the past and what what has it been like adapting to those changes? Yeah, it's just been a general everything is just more. So more mileage throughout the week. My longer runs in particular like it wasn't too long ago, maybe two years ago, that for me, a long run would be like 10 to 12 miles. So that's all just jumped up massively. Um, getting towards 18 mile runs more regularly. And I did my first ever 20. I've done two 20s now just last week and the week before. That honestly is is part of the challenge. You know, like even just mentally being engaged and focused for that length of time. Um, I think in a race, I'll be... A lot better because in a race you've just got that environment but just being out on a training run for 20 miles if someone had told me that two years ago I would have been like no way I'll be bored out my mind for two hours uh two hours plus but it's been good like I've enjoyed it and it's just been something a little bit different longer tempo effort everything's just longer the sessions have been longer but I've still remained tried to remain on track like I've still been doing some track sessions but they're just the the volume is just so much bigger short recovery, long reps, like everything is just extended. And so that's why I I suppose I felt very, not unconfident going into the 10K, but I felt super strong, but I wasn't sure how that 5K initial pace would feel because I just haven't done the same sort of turnover that I would normally do. Any 5K work that I think, right, yep, I'm running super quick here and fast and I feel ready to run a PB over 3K or 5K. I feel a little bit more removed from that. So yeah, it's just been honestly just an increase in overall load. But as I said earlier, with that has been managing more niggles, just little things cropping up from time to time because your body's obviously just trying to be put through a a bigger load every single week. But yeah, I'm excited. Like London for me is 
is definitely going to be a challenge. There's no doubt about it. I'm very confident over the half marathon. Right now, I do think I could run a really good half and I could run, um, I think I could take a, a good chunk of time off my current PB. But it's just that sort of 20 miles plus is like completely unknown. I feel I could run a good 20 mile race, but I'm sure everyone thinks that, but probably just doesn't doesn't say it. But that last 10K is, it's scary. Like it's, of course it's scary. It's scary for everyone. Um, it's just not something you can replicate in training. Like maybe people do, I don't know, but I, I don't hear of many people just going out and just battering 26 miles to see how they, they, they feel. I don't want to run a marathon before my marathon. So um, yeah, we're building towards that. I think confidence comes from training. I feel a lot better over long runs than before. Um, they go by a lot quicker than I thought as well. So I'm definitely managing it more mentally um, and physically, obviously, my body's been responding quite well to it. So really, that has been the difference, just avoiding the sort of there's no sessions where I'm like time trialing. Do you know, I'm just doing a, I don't know, a K flat out or a 2K flat out. Like all of the sort of time trialy flat out speed stuff is is gone. And we're just replaced with like longer tempo efforts, long runs and long reps. But I don't think I'll ever completely disappear from the track I still think it's important I still mentally actually quite like the track like even though it's long sessions I enjoy it I actually really enjoy it compared to being on the road um so I'll always still include track sessions within within any marathon build I think I was going to ask you sort of about the value of putting those shorter races into the build, but I think you've really answered that. I mean, one of the first things you said about your mum's call to you was that speed comes from strength, right? So yep. this is such a, a perfect example of that, that you can, as long as you're touching all the energy systems, you can kind of hold on to the, the range of the tools that you need. Um, but it, it's really cool that you've been able to find uh, the balance of, it sounds like that enjoyment as well between both the track and the roads. Yeah, it's just trying to keep, instead of doing every session being like a sort of flat out lactic type session towards the end, it's now maybe having one of those every, I don't know, two weeks or every month block or I mean, it's just reduced right down. Um, so I, as I said, yeah, I don't think I'll ever go entirely away from the track. I do think it's important that I'd still like to be competitive at a world stage over the 10,000 metres. I don't know yet whether... Um, after we do London in April, what my next plan is after that. Do I go to Budapest and do 10,000 metres there or um, or do we build to another marathon? I, I won't really know until I do London and decide if I've survived it or enjoyed it. So yeah, I don't want to stray too far away from the 10K. I think obviously 1500s and 5Ks are, would, would be a little bit more removed, but 10K I still think is quite important for that marathon distance. So that kind of takes us to the end of our conversation. What are the goals for London? How are you approaching this race? What do you want to get out of it, maybe both in terms of performance and just um, the experience of it being your first marathon? Yeah, so I suppose I've sort of set myself a couple of goals. The first one, obviously, to get round in one piece, to feel strong and to enjoy it, because it is completely different to me. Like, it is a new challenge. If someone had said to me just even three, four years ago that I'd be at the marathon I mean, I just felt so far removed from it, especially starting as a, a 3,000 metre steeplechaser. So I think mentally, probably that's been the hardest part of building myself up to think, right, this is it now. This is what you're doing. So for me, I, the first goal is really just get round, enjoy it. And yeah, just have a, a strong, healthy body at the end of it. 
Second goal would be to be competitive amongst the, the British athletes. These athletes have been doing marathons a hell of a lot longer than myself. We've done have several marathons under their belt um, and have been to Olympics and worlds like Charlotte Perdue, Jess Piasecki, Sam Harrison. They're they're very good marathoners within um, and they've done several of them. So for me, that would be like a nice aim to have, to be at least competitive amongst them and be in the mix. I just have to be really realistic with London. Like they have some, the field is just stupid. Like it's the most ridiculous field I've ever seen in my life. And um, you could pretty much run, I don't know, 220, which would be like the fastest time in the UK or 222 probably be the fastest time in the UK for a very long time. And yet you could come probably about 15th. So um, I just have to be realistic with my goals with like what I can actually do within that field. So trying not to get too caught up within that. So, yeah, I think for me, a goal would be literally just to be competitive amongst the Brits, enjoy it, get through. Another goal for me would be the fueling side of things. I've been having issues with that, trying to get the fueling right. Again, it's completely new to me coming from the track. I've never had to worry about taking on a carb gel or drink or anything like that. So getting through that process is another thing. I think it'll be a really big learning curve. And finally, the goal would be my mum's PB. It's her last one that she's got. Um, I would really, really like to try and break that. It's two, tw- two hours 26. Um, and the Scotch record is just a little bit quicker than that. Steph 12 just broke it from my mum a couple of years back. I think it's 225 she's ran. So really those would be like, that's my last final goal that I would really like to try and achieve. I could be under those times, under a qualifying time, obviously for Paris next year. I can't really complain. Like if I do those those goals and I hit those targets for my first one, my debut, I'll I'll be really happy with that. Great goals to have. Super exciting. Ailish will be following along. You've got a, a contingent of of cheerleaders in Canada as well. Um, but we'll be thrilled to see what happens in London at the end of April, and then of course moving forward to Budapest World Championships and uh, into the Paris Olympics in 2024 and everything else. On behalf of our audience at Canadian Running Magazine, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Congratulations again on your recent record and very best of luck with everything that comes forward. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks again so much to Ailish for joining us for this episode. We've included a link to her not-for-profit, Giving Back to Track, in our show notes. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ShakeOut Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our show wherever you're listening right now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review or a rating. It really helps others discover us. Thanks as always for tuning in. Run safe and happy, and we'll chat again soon.